Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, bringing you the latest in our series of summer replacement programs voted by our Patreons at patreon.greatdetectives.net. If you do have a comment, email it to me at box13 at greatdetectives.net and follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Well, today we're going to bring you an episode of The Shakespeare Cycle. This was a summer replacement from 1937, so I think this is probably going going to be the earliest program we play. The original air date is July the 26th, 1937, and we're going to be presenting Julius Caesar. Hollywood, California, Columbia presents William Shakespeare's tragedy of Julius Caesar. With tonight's all-star production of Julius Caesar, the Columbia Network brings you the third in this summer's cycle of eight Shakespearean plays to be presented at the same time every Monday night during July and August. Each of these plays has been especially adapted for a full-hour radio presentation. And in each, the world's most distinguished actors will join Columbia in bringing the works of this immortal dramatist to millions of people who have never had the opportunity of enjoying them before. In tonight's performance of Julius Caesar, a stellar cast of 60 is headed by Claude Rains as Cassius, Thomas Mitchell as Brutus, Walter Abel as Casca, and Reginald Denny as Caesar. Columbia regrets to announce that Mr. Raymond Massey, who was originally cast in the role of Anthony, was suddenly stricken ill this morning and will be unable to appear. Morris Ancrum, young actor and director of the New York stage, will play the part of Anthony. Victor Bay, Columbia's talented young conductor, raises his baton to lead the orchestra in the musical introduction. And as the curtain rises... Conway Thurl, well-known actor of stage and screen, comes forward as narrator to set the stage for the first scene of Julius Caesar. Rome. When Rome was the world, and Caesar was the mightiest Roman, Caesar the conqueror, Caesar the lawgiver, Wise Caesar, vain Caesar, brilliant Caesar, superstitious Caesar. Tomorrow he will be dead, but today he lives, and the world is his for the taking. Today is the Roman festival of the Lupercal. In a few moments, the sons of noblemen will run naked through the streets, striking all whom they meet with leather thongs. In this manner will they symbolize for the gods the purification of the city. All Rome will line the course to witness the holy race, and none more prominent than Caesar with his wife Calpurnia and his train of followers. For Caesar makes a point of appearing publicly on such occasions. He is the idol of the Republic. The servile Senate would like to make him king, but Caesar bides his time. Here he comes now to the festive crowd, a striking figure in his white toga. Surrounded by the chief statesmen of the Republic, by flatterers, by sycophants, by the curious. Calvernia. Peace, Peter. Calvernia. Yeah, my lord. Stand you directly in Antonius' way when he doth run his course. Antonius. He's a my lord. Forget not in your speed, Antonius, to touch Calvernia. For our elders say the baron touch it in this holy chase. Take off their sterile curse. I shall remember. When Caesar says do this, it is performed. Set off and leave no ceremony out. Caesar! 
I hear a tongue shriller than all the music, cries Caesar. Speak. Caesar is turned to hear. Beware the eyes of March. What man is that? A soothsayer. Did you beware the eyes of March? <laughs> he is a dreamer. Let us leave him. Pass. The mighty Caesar and his train of followers <clears throat> move forward to the races. But two men linger behind. This one, broad of brow and thoughtful of countenance, is Brutus. Statesman and scholar, scion of a noble and illustrious family, ardent believer in the Republic. That one is Cassius, dark, hawk-like, passionately patriotic, but personally envious and avaricious. Cassius speaks obliquely, with one eye on the receding figure of Caesar. Lucas, will you go see the order of the course? Not I. I pray you do. I am not gamesome. I do lack some part of that quick spirit that is in Antony. Let me not hinder Cassius your desires. I leave you. Brutus, I do observe you now of late. I have not from your eyes that gentleness and show of love as I was wont to have. You bear too stubborn and too strange a hand over your friend that loves you. Cassius, be not deceived. If I have failed my look, I turn the trouble of my countenance merely upon myself. Vexed I am of late with passions of some difference, conceptions only proper to myself, which give some soil, perhaps, to my behaviors. But let not, therefore, my good friends be grieved, among which number Cassius be you one, nor constitute any further my neglect than that poor Brutus with himself at war forgets the shows of love to other men. Then, Brutus, I have much mistook your passion, by means whereof this breast of mine hath buried thoughts of great value, worthy cogitation. Tell me, good Brutus, can you see your face? No, Cassius, for the eye sees not itself, but by reflection, by some other thing. It is just, and it is very much lamented, Brutus, that you have no such mirrors as will turn your hidden worthiness into your eye, that you might see your shadow. I have heard where many of the best respect in Rome, except immortal Caesar, speaking of Brutus and groaning underneath this age's yoke, have wished that noble Brutus had his eyes. Into what danger would you lead me, Cassius, that you'd have me seek for myself for that which is not in me? What means that shouting? I do fear the people choose Caesar for their king. I do you fear it? Then must I think you would not have it so? I would not, Cassius, yet I love him well. But wherefore do you hold me here so long? What is it you would impart to me? If it be aught toward the general good, set honor in one eye and death in the other. And I will look on both indifferently. For let the gods so speed me, as I love the name of honor more than I fear death. I know that virtue to be in you, Brutus, as well as I do know your outward favor. Well, honor is the subject of my story. I cannot tell what you and other men think of this life, but for my single self, I had as lief not be, as live to be, in awe of such a thing as I myself. I was born free as Caesar, so were you. We both have fed as well, and we can both endure the winter's cold as well as he. For once, upon a raw and gusty day, the troubled Tiber chafing with her shores, Caesar said to me, Darest thou, Cassius, now leap in with me into this angry flood, and swim to yonder point upon the word? Accoutred as I was, I plunged in and bade him follow. So indeed he did. The torrent roared, and we did buffet it with lusty sinews, throwing it aside and stemming it with hearts of controversy. But... Ere we could arrive, the point proposed. Caesar cried, Help me, Cassius, or I sink. I, as Aeneas, our great ancestor, did from the flames of Troy upon his shoulder the old Anchises bear. So from the waves of Tiber did I, the tired Caesar. And this man is now become a god, and Cassius is a wretched creature and must bend his body if Caesar carelessly but not on him. He had a fever when he was in Spain, and when the fit was on him, I did mark how he did shake. Tis true, this god did shake. His coward lips did from their color fly, and that same eye whose bend doth all the world did lose his luster. I did hear him groan. I and that tongue of his that bade the Romans mark him and write his speeches in their books. Alas, it cried, give me some drink, Titanius, as a sick girl. He thought it doth amaze me, a man of such a feeble temper, should so get the start of the majestic world and bear the palm alone.
Another general shout. I do believe these applauses are for some new honors that are heaped on Caesar. Why, man, he doth bestow the narrow world like a colossus, and we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves. Men at some time are masters of their fates. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. Brutus and Caesar. What should be in that Caesar? Why should that name be sounded more than yours? There was a Brutus once that would have broke the eternal devil to keep his state in Rome as easily as a king. But you don't love me, I am nothing jealous. What you would work me to, I have some aim. How I have thought of this and of these times, I shall recount hereafter. For this present, I would not, so with love I might entreat you, be any further moved. What you have said, I will consider. What you have to say, I will with patience hear. And find a time both meet to hear and answer such high things. I am glad that my weak words have struck but thus much sure fire from Brutus. The games are done, and Caesar is returned. As they pass by, pluck Casca by the sleeve, and he will, after his sour fashion, tell you what has proceeded were they no I will do so. But look, you Cassius, the angry spot that glow on Caesar's brow, and all the rest look like a chin train. Casca will tell us what the matter is. Now Caesar's chariot enters the public square, hemmed in by the adoring multitude. Caesar, sharp-eyed and suspicious, has noted the withdrawal of Cassius and Brutus. He motions to his friend Antony, who paces beside the chariot, moves slowly through the milling crowd. Antonio, Caesar, let me have men about me that are fat, sleek-headed men, and such as sleep a night. Young Cassius has a lean and hungry look. He thinks too much. Such men are dangerous. Hear him not, Caesar. He's not dangerous. He's a noble Roman and well-given. Would he were fatter. But I fear him not. Yet if my name were liable to fear, I do not know the man I should avoid so soon as that spare Cassius. But I'd rather tell thee what is to be feared than what I fear. For always, I am Caesar. Oh! Come on my right hand. For this ear is deaf. And tell me truly what thou thinks of him. Brutus, you pulled me by the cloak. Would you speak with me? Aye, Castor. Tell us what hath chanced today that Caesar looks so sad. Why, you were with him, were you not? I should not then ask Castor what had chanced. Why, there was a crown offered him, and being offered him, he put it by with the back of his hand. Thus, and then the people fell a-shouting. What was the second noise for? Aye, for that too. They shouted thrice. What was the last cry for? Why, for that too, Cassius. But the crown offered him twice? Aye, matter was. And he put it by thrice, every time, gentler than other. And at every putting by, mine honest neighbor shouted, who offered him the crown. Why, Antony, tell us the manner of it, gentle Cassius. I can as well be hanged as tell the manner of it. It was mere foolery. I did not mark it. I saw Mark Antony offer him a crown, and as I told you, he put it by once. Then he offered it to him again. Then he put it by again. But to my thinking, he was very low to lay his fingers off it. And then he offered it the third time. He put it the third time by, and still, as he refused it, the rabblement hooted, and uttered such a deal of stinking breath because Caesar refused the crown that it had almost choked Caesar. For he swooned and fell down at it. And for mine own part, I durst not laugh, for fear of opening my lips and receiving the bad air. Soft, I tell you. What? Did Caesar swoon? Ha! He fell down in the marketplace and foamed at mouth and was speechless. Very like. He had the falling sickness. No, Caesar hath it not. But you and I, an honest Casca, we have the falling sickness. I know not what you mean by that, but I'm sure Caesar fell down. What said he when he came unto himself? When he came to himself again, he said... If he had done or said anything amiss, he desired their worships to think it was his infirmity. And after that he came thus sad away. Ha! Ah. Aye. There was more foolery yet, if I could remember it. Fare you well. Will you sup with me tonight, Casca? Oh, I promised for Will you dine with me tomorrow? Aye, if I be alive and your mind whole and your dinner worth the eating. Good. I will expect you. Do so. Farewell both. What a blunt fellow this has grown to be. 
He was quick metal when he went to school. Good Cassius, for this time I leave you. Tomorrow, if you will, come home to me and I'll wait for you. I will do so. Till then, think of the world. Farewell. Well, Brutus, thou art noble. Yet I see thy honorable metal may be wrought from that it is disposed. Therefore it is meet that noble minds keep ever with their likes. For who so firm that cannot be seduced? Caesar doth bear me hard, but he loves Brutus. If I were Brutus now and he were Cassius, he should not humor me. And after this, let Caesar seat him sure, for we will shake him our worst days endure. Night has fallen. A storm breaks over the capital. The seven hills are sapped with lightning. Thunder crashes and rolls unendingly above the city. Wind and stinging rain drive the superstitious Romans into their houses to cower in their beds. The shelter of a pillar stands Cassius. Another cloaked figure joins him stealthily. Who's there? A Roman. Casca, by your voice, your ear is good. Cassius, what night is this? A very pleasing night to honest men. Whoever knew the heavens menace. Those that have known the earth so full of faults. Now could I, Casca, name to thee a man most like this dreadful night. A man no mightier than thyself or me in personal action. Yet prodigious grown and fearful as these strange eruptions are. Caesar that you mean, is it not, Cassius? Let it be who it is. Indeed, they say the senators tomorrow mean to establish Caesar as a king. And he shall wear his crown by sea and land, in every place, save here in Italy. I know where I will wear this dagger then. Cassius from bondage will deliver Cassius. Therein ye God you make the weak most strong. Therein ye God you tyrants to defeat. Nor stony tower, nor walls of beaten brass, nor airless dungeon, nor strong links of iron can be retentive to the strength of tyranny. That part of tyranny that I do bear, I can shake off at pleasure. So can I. So every bondman in his own hand bears the power to cancel his captivity. Why should Caesar be a tyrant then? What trash is Rome? What rubbish? And what awful when it serves for the base matter to illuminate so vile a thing as Caesar? But old grief. Where hast thou led me? I perhaps speak this before a willing one. You speak to Casca, to such a man that is no fleering telltale. Hold my hand, be factious for redress of all these griefs, and I will set this foot of mine as far as who goes farther. There's a fog in May. I'll know you, Casca. I have moved already some certain of the noblest-minded Romans to undergo with me an enterprise of honorable, dangerous consequence. And I do know by this they stay for me in Pompey's porch. Come, Casca, you and I will yet ere day see Brutus at his house. Three parts of him is ours already, and the man entire upon the next encounter yields him ours. It is now a few hours past midnight, and Brutus faces his orchard. Conspirators gather before Brutus' house. They go into him in a body with the Cassius at their head. I think we are too bold upon your rest. Good morrow, Brutus. Do we trouble you? I've been up this hour awake all night. Know why these men that come along with you? Yes, every man of them. And no man here but honors you. And everyone doth wish you had but that opinion of yourself which every noble Roman bears of you. They are all welcome. Give me your hands all over, one by one. And let us swear our resolution. No, no, not a note. What need we any spur but our own cause to prick us to redress? Shall no man else be touched but only Caesar? Casca! Well urged. I think it is not meet. Mark Antony, so well beloved of Caesar, should outlive Caesar. Which to prevent, let Antony and Caesar fall together. Uh, our cause would seem too bloody, Caius Cassius. To cut the head off and then hack the limbs, like wrath in death and envy afterwards? Antony is but a limb of Caesar. Let us be sacrifices, not butchers, Cassius. Oh, that we could come by Caesar's spirit and not dismember Caesar. But alas, Caesar must bleed for it. 
And gentle friends, let's kill him boldly, not wrathfully. Let's carve him as a dish fit for the gods, not view him as a carcass fit for hounds. And for Mark Anthony, think not of him, for he can do no more than Caesar's arm when Caesar's head is off. But it is doubtful yet whether Caesar will come forth today or no, for he is superstitious grown of late. It may be these apparent prodigies, the unaccustomed terror of this night, and the persuasion of his augurers may hold him from the capital today. Never fear that. If he be so resolved, I can persuade him. Let me work, for I can give his humor the true bent, and I will bring him to the capital. Nay, we will all of us be there to fetch him. By the eighth hour, is that the uttermost? Be that the uttermost, and fail not then. The morning comes upon us. We'll leave you, Brutus. Good gentlemen. Look fresh and heavenly. Let not our looks put on our purposes, but bear it as our Roman actors do, with untired spirits and formal constancy. And so, good morrow to you, everyone. Dawn is creeping over the Roman hills. This is the 15th day of March. The eyes of March. Caesar in his sumptuous palace faces the marble floor with fretful feet. The awful nights and the fears of his wife have played heavily upon his superstitious soul. Now there is a stir at the door and uh, Casca enters. Caesar, all hail. Good morrow, worthy Caesar. I come to fetch you to the Senate House. And you are come in very happy time to bear my greetings to the senators and tell them that I will not come today. Cannot discourse. That I dare not force her. I will not come today. Tell them so, Casper. Most mighty Caesar. Let me know some cause, lest I be laughed at when I tell them so. The cause is in my will. I will not come. That is enough to satisfy the Senate. But for your private satisfaction, because I love you, I will let you know. Calpurnia, my wife, stays here at home. She dreamt tonight... She saw my statuary, which, like a fountain with an hundred spouts, did run pure blood. And many lusty Romans came smiling, and it bathed their hands in it. And these does she apply for warnings, and portents, and evils imminent. And on her knee had begged that I would stay at home today. This dream is all a misinterpreted. It was a vision fair and fortunate. Your statue spouting blood in many pipes, in which so many smiling Romans bathed, signifies that from you great Rome shall suck reviving blood. This, by Calpurnia's dream, is signified. And this way have you well expounded it. The Senate have concluded to give this day a crown to mighty Caesar. If Caesar hide himself, shall they not whisper, Lo, Caesar is afraid. Give me my robe, for I will go. And look, where Trebonius has come to fetch me. Welcome, Trebonius. What, Brutus, are you served so early too? What is your clock? Caesar, struck an eight. I thank you for your pains and curtsy. <laughs> See, <laughs> Antony, that revels long a night, is not the standing up. Good morrow, Antony. Go to most noble Caesar. Bid them prepare within, and we, like friends, will straightway go together. The Senate has gathered. Caesar stands before them at the foot of murdered Pompey's statue, surrounded by men with murder in their hearts. The time has now come for the presenting of petitions to all-powerful Caesar. What is now amiss that Caesar and his senate must redress? Most high, most mighty, and most wicked Caesar. Metellus, Simba, throws before thy seat an humble heart. I must prevent thee, Simba. These couchings and these lowly curses might fire the blood of ordinary men and turn pre-ordinance and first decree into the law of children. Thy brother, by decree, is banished. Is there no voice more worthy than mine own to sound more sweetly in great Caesar's ear for the repealing of my banished brother? I kiss thy hand. What? Root of nuts in flattery, Caesar. Desiring thee that Publius Simba may have an immediate freedom of repeal. Pardon, Caesar, Caesar, pardon. As low as to thy foot doth Cassius fall to beg enfranchisement for Publius Simba. I could be well moved if I were as you. If I could pray to move, prayers would move me. But I am constant as the northern star. 
let me a little show it, even in this, that I was constant Simba should be banished, and constant do remain to keep him so. Caesar! Oh, Caesar! Great Caesar! Help! That's not Lucas, Lucas, and you'll speak hands for me! Waving our red weapons on our heads, let's all cry peace, freedom, liberty! Shall this our lofty scene be acted over in states unborn and accents yet unknown? How many times shall Caesar bleed in spot that now in Pompey's base lies alone, no worthier than the dust? How often that shall be, so often shall the not of us be called the men that gave their country liberty. <laughs> Though now we must appear bloody and cruel, as by our hands and this our pleasant act you see we do, yet see you but our hands, our hearts you see not. For your part, to you our swords have leaden points, Mark Anthony. Our voice shall be as strong as any man's in the disposing of new dignity. Only be patient till we have appeased the multitude. Then we deliver to you the cause why I, that did love Caesar when I struck him, have thus proceeded. I doubt not of your wisdom, that each man render me his bloody hand. Friends am I with you all, and love you all, upon this hope that you shall give me reasons why and wherein Caesar was dangerous. Our reasons are so good, and so full of good regard, that were you, Antony, the son of Caesar, you should be satisfied. That's all I seek, and am moreover suitor that I may produce his body to the marketplace. And in the pulpit, as becomes a friend, speak in the order of his funeral. You shall, Mark Antony. Brutus, you know not what to do. Precious, by your pardon, I will myself into the pulpit first and show the reason of our Caesar's death. Mark Antony, here, take your Caesar's body, and you shall speak in the same pulpit whereto I am going after my speech is ended. Be it so. I do desire no more. Prepare the body, then, and follow us. Oh, pardon me, thou bleeding piece of earth, that I am meek and gentle with these butchers. Thou art the ruins of the noblest man that ever lived in the tide of times. Woe to the hand that shed this costly blood. Over thy wounds now do I prophesy, which like dumb mouths do open their ruby lips to beg the voice and utterance of my tongue. A curse shall light upon the limbs of men. Domestic fury and fierce civil strife shall come where all the parts of Italy. Blood and destruction shall but smile when they behold their infants quartered with the hands of war. All pity choked with custom of fell deeds. And Caesar's spirit, ranging for revenge, with Atte by his side, come hot from hell, shall in these confines with a monarch's voice cry havoc, and let slip the dogs of war. That this foul deed shall smell above the earth with carrion men groaning for burial. <laughs> First part of Columbia's presentation of Julius Caesar with Claude Rains, Walter Abel, and Reginald Denny. The play will continue in just a moment.
And now, we continue with the second part of Julius Caesar with an all-star cast, including Claude Rains as Cassius, Thomas Mitchell as Brutus, Morris Ancrum as Anthony, Walter Abel as Casca, and Reginald Denny as Caesar. Conway Turl, the narrator, again comes forward to set the scene. The body of the murdered Caesar is being carried slowly into the forum through the seething multitude. Brutus, grave and imposing, walks ahead. The other conspirators, pale and uncertain of the mob's temper, are just behind. Anthony, with downcast eyes, follows the body of his friend. We will be satisfied. Let us be satisfied. Brutus! Brutus! Silence! 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 Romans, countrymen, and lovers, hear me for my cause, and be silent that you may hear. Believe me for mine honor, and have respect to mine honor, that you may believe. Censure me in your wisdom, and awake your senses that you may the better judge. If there be any in this assembly, any dear friend of Caesar's, to him I say that Brutus' love to Caesar was none less than his. If then that friend demand why Brutus rose against Caesar, this is my answer. Not that I love Caesar less, but that I love Rome more. Had you rather Caesar were living and die all slain? And that Caesar were dead to live all free men? As Caesar loved me, I weep for him. As he was fortunate, I rejoice at him. As he was valiant, I honor him. But as he was ambitious, I slew him. There is tears for his love, joy for his fortune, honor for his valor, and death for his ambition. Who is here so base that he would be a bond? If any speak, for him I have offended. Who is here so rude that he would not be a Roman? If any speak, for him I have offended. Who is here so vile that he will not love his country? If any speak, for him I have offended. I pause for reply. Then not have I offended. I've done no more to Caesar than you shall do to Brutus. The question of his death is enrolled in the capital. His glory not extenuated wherein he was worthy, nor his offenses and force for which he suffered death. Here is his body, born by Mark Antony, who, though he had no hand in his death, shall receive the benefit of his dying, a place in the commonwealth. As which of you shall not? And with this I depart, that as I slew my best lover for the good of Rome, I have the same dagger for myself, when it shall please my country to need my death. was ambitious. If it was so, it was a grievous fault, 
and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man, so are they all, all honorable men. Am I to speak in Caesar's duty? He was my friend, faithful and just to me. But Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. He hath brought many captives home to Rome, whose ransoms did the general coffers fill. Did this in Caesar seem ambitious? When that the poor have cried, Caesar hath wept. Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. Yet Brutus says he was ambitious. And Brutus is an honorable man. You all did see that on the Lupico, I thrice presented him a kingly crown, which he did thrice refuse. Was this ambition? Yet Brutus says he was ambitious. Be sure he is an honorable man. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but here am I to speak what I do know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? For judgment thou art fled to brutish beasts, and men have lost their reason. There with me. My heart is in the coffin there with season, and I must pause till it come back to me. Methinks there's much reason in his sayings. If thou consider rightly of the matter, Caesar has had great wrong, has he not, Master? I fear there will be a worse coming his place. Watch his words, he will not take the crown. Therefore, it is certain he was not ambitious. If it be found so, some will hear about it. Poor soul, his eyes are red as fire when weeping. There's not a nobler man in Rome than Anthony. But yesterday... Now mark him. He begins again to speak. But yesterday the word of Caesar might have stood against the world. Now lies he there, and none so poor to do him reverence. Oh, masters, if I were disposed to stir your hearts and minds to mutiny and rage, I should do Brutus wrong, Cassius wrong, who you all know are honorable men. I will not do them wrong. I rather choose to wrong the dead, to wrong myself and you, than I will wrong such honorable men. But here's a parchment with the seal of Caesar. I found it in his closet. This is will. Let but a common hear this testament which pardon me. I do not mean to read. And they would go and kiss dead Caesar's wounds and dip their napkins in his sacred blood. not meet you know how Caesar loved you. Yeah. Read the will. Will you it? Send to me. You shall read us the will. Caesar's will. Will you be patient? Will you stay a while? I have or shot myself to tell you of it. I fear I wrong the honorable men whose daggers have stabbed Caesar. I do hear it. They would train us. Honorable men. mantle. I remember the first time Caesar ever put it on. It was on a summer's evening, his tent, 
That day he overcame the Nervii. Look, in this place ran Cassius' dagger through. See what a rent the envious Casca made. Through this, the well-beloved Brutus stabbed. And as he plucked his cursed steel away, mark how the blood of Caesar followed it. This was the most unkindest cut of all. For when the noble Caesar saw him stabbed, in gratitude, more strong than traitor's arms, quite vanquished him. Then burst his mighty heart, and in his mantle, muffling up his face, even at the base of Pompey's statue, which all the while ran blood, great Caesar fell. Oh, what a fall was there, my countrymen. Then I and you and all of us fell down whilst bloody treason flourished over us. Oh, oh, now you. And I perceive you feel the dint of pity. These are gracious drops. Kind souls, what weep you when you but behold our Caesar's vesture wounded? Look you here. Here is himself, marred as you see, with traitors. Oh, oh pretty spectacle, oh, noble speed. Oh, oh, traitors, villains, oh, bloody sight. We will be rescued. Hey, countrymen. may not stir you up to such a sudden flood of mutiny. I am no orator as Brutus is, but as you know me all, a plain, blunt man that loved my friend. I tell you that which you yourselves do know. Show you sweet Caesar's wounds, poor, poor, dumb mouths, and bid them speak for me. But were I Brutus, and Brutus Antony, there were an Antony would ruffle up your spirits and put a tongue in every wound of Caesar that should move the stones of Rome to rise and mutiny. Real mutiny. Away and hear me. Yes, hear me speak. Why, friend, you have forgot the will I told you of. Under Caesar's seal, to every Roman citizen he gives, to every several man, seventy-five drachmas. Most noble Caesar, will avenge his death. He hath left to all his walks, his private arbors, and new planted orchards on this side of Tiber. He hath left the muse and to your heirs forever, common pleasures. To walk abroad and recreate yourselves. Here was a Caesar. Whence comes there such another? Now, mischief, thou art a foot. Take thou what force thou wilt. The people are plucking down the benches of the forum to build a funeral pyre for Caesar's body. A flame springs up, and then another. And in these sacrificial flames, all that is mortal of great Caesar disappears. But the pyre spreads out and out over the land, consumed in its turn by the greater flame of Civil war. On one side, Antony and Octavius. On the other, Brutus and Cassius. Brutus' noble dream of saving the Republic by murdering Caesar is quickly shattered. The conspirators are corrupt. Even Cassius is avaricious and quarrelsome. But the legions of Cassius and Brutus finally unite for battle against the enemy. Now the two leaders are quarreling in Brutus' tent. Most noble brother, you have done me wrong. Judge me, you gods. Wrong, I am in enemies. If not so, how should I wrong a brother? Brutus, this sober form of yours hides wrong, and when you do them, I shall. 
big heavy head. Those weak soft. Before the eyes of both our armies here, which should perceive nothing but love from us, let us not wrangle. That you have wrong way to appear in this. You have condemned and noted Lucius Peller for taking bribes here to the Sardians, wherein my letters praying on his side because I knew the man was slighted off. You wronged yourself to write in such a case. In such a time as this, it is not meet that every nice of friendship bear his comments. Let me tell you, Cassius, you yourself are much condemned for have a niching palm, to sell and march your officers for gold to undeserved. I, a niching palm, you know that you are brutus to speak this. Oh, by the gods, this speech for else shall last. The name of Cassius honors this corruption, and chastisement doth therefore hide his head. Chastisement! Remember March! The eyes of March, remember. Did not great Julius bleed for justice sake? What villain touched his body that it stabbed, and not for justice? What shall one of us that struck the foremost man of all this world but for supporting robbers? Shall we now contaminate our fingers with base bribes and sell the mighty space of our large fortunes for so much trash as may be grasped with us? I'd rather be a dog and bear a moon than such a Roman. Oh, this may not be. I'll not endure it. You forget yourself to hit me in. I am a soldier. I, older in practice, abler than yourself to make conditions. No, true, you're not, Cassius. I am. I say you're not. Urge me no more. I shall forget myself. Have mind upon your health. No further. Away, slight man. <laughs> from this day forth, I'll use you for my mirth, yea, for my laughter, when you are wasp. Is it come to this? You say you're a better soldier. Let it appear so. Make the vaunting true, and it shall please me well. For my own part, I shall be glad to learn of noble men. You wrong me every way. You wrong me, Brutus. I said an elder soldier, not a better. Did I say better? If you did, I care not. And Caesar lived. He does not thus move me. Peace, peace. You does not so have tempted him. I does not. No. What does not tempt him? For your life, you does not. Do not presume too much upon my love. I may do that. I shall be sorry for. You have done that you should be sorry for. There is no terror, Cassius, in your threats. For I am armed so strong in honesty that they pass me by as the idle wind which I respect not. I did send to you for certain sums of gold which you denied me. For I can raise no money by vile means. By heaven, I'd rather coin my heart and drop my blood for drachmas than to wring from the hard hands of peasants their vile trash by any indirection. I did send to you for gold to pay my legion, which you denied me. Was that done by Cassius? Should I have answered Caius Cassius so? When Marcus Brutus grows so covetous as to lock such rascal counters from his friends, be ready, Eglas, with all your thunderbolts. To dash him to pieces. I denied you not. You did. I did not. He was but a fool that brought my answer back. Brutus hath bribed my heart. A friend to bear his friend's infirmities. But Brutus makes mine greater than they are. I do not till you practice them on me. You love me not. I do not like your fault. A friendly eye could never see such fault. Us flatterers would not, though they do appear as high as you to limp. Come, Antony. And young Octavius, come. Revenge yourself alone on Cassius, for Cassius is a weary of the world, hated by one he loves, braved by his brother, checked like a bondman, all his faults observed, set in a notebook, learned and conned by ropes and cast into my teeth. Oh, I could weep my spirit from my eyes. There is my dagger, and here, my naked dress, within a heart, nearer than Plutus mine, richer than gold. If thou beast a Roman, take it forth. I that deny thee gold will give my heart. Strike as thou didst at Caesar. For I know when thou didst hate him worse, thou lovest him better than ever thou lovest Cassius. Sheathe your dagger. Be angry when you will. It shall have scope. Do what you will. Dishonor shall be humor. Oh, Cassius. You are yoked with a lamb that carries anger as the flint bears fire. Who, when enforced, shows a hasty spark and straight is cold again. As Cassius lived to be but mirth and laughter to his brutus, when grief and blood ill-tempered vexed him. When I spoke back, I was ill-tempered too. Do you confess so much? Give me your hand. And my heart too. Oh, brutus. What's the matter? Have you not love enough to bear with me? When that rash humor which my mother gave me makes me forgetful. Yes, Cassius. And from henceforth, 
When you are over earnest with your brothers, he'll think your mother chides and leave you so. Lucius, a bowl of wine. I did not think you could have been so angry. Oh, fascist, I'm sick of many griefs. Of your philosophy, you make no use if you give place to accident. No. No man bears sorrow better. Osha, my wife, is dead. Osha? She's dead. How escaped I kill him when I crossed you, sir. Oh, insupportable and touching loss. Upon what sickness? Impatience of my absence and grief that young Octavius and Mark Antony have made themselves so strong. With this she fell distracted in her attendant absence. Swallowed fire. And died so? Even so. Oh, ye mortal gods. Speak no more of her. Give me a bowl of wine. In this, I bury all unkindness. Precious. My heart is thirsty for that noble pledge. Fill Lucius to the wine or swell the cup. I cannot drink too much of Brutus' love. Oh, my dear brother, this is an ill beginning of the night. Never come such division between our souls. Let it not Brutus. Everything is well. Good night, my lord. Good night, good brother. Brutus. If we lose this battle, you are contented to be led in triumph through the streets of Rome? No, Cassius, no. Think not, thou noble Roman, that ever Brutus will be bound to Rome. But this same day must end that work the eyes of March begun. And whether we shall meet again, I know not. Therefore, our everlasting farewell take. Forever... And forever farewell, Cassius. If we do meet again, why, we shall smile. If not, why, then this parting was well made. Forever and forever, farewell, Peter. If we do meet again, we'll smile indeed. If not, it's true. This parting was well made. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallow and in misery. At Philippi, the forces loyal to Dead Caesar clash with the legions of the conspirators. All day long the battle rages, and slowly but surely the tide turns in favor of Antony and Octavius. Even in death, the genius of mighty Caesar seems to guide his avengers to victory. The forces of Brutus and Cassius are divided, are thrown back. Cassius' legions desert. He tries vainly to rally them. Perhaps mine own turned enemy. This ensign here of mine was turning back. I slew the coward and it taken from him. Oh, Cassius. Brutus gave the word too early. Who, having some advantage on Octavius, took it too eagerly. His soldiers held his spoil. Whilst we, by Antony, are all enclosed. Fly further off, my lord. Fly further off. Mark Antony is in your tent, my lord. Why, therefore, noble Cassius, fly far off. This hill is far enough. Look, look, Titanius. Are those my tents where I see the fire? They are, my lord. Titanius, if thou lovest me, mount thou my horse, and hide thy spurs in him, till he have brought me up to yon troops and here again, that I may rest assured whether yon troops are friend or enemy. I will be here again, even with a fox. Oh, Pinterest, get fire on that hill. My sight was ever fixed. Regard, Titanius, and tell me what thou knowest about the sea. This day I see this first. Time is come round, and where I did begin, there shall I end. My life is run with compass. Sarah, what you? Oh, my lord! What you? Titanius is enclosed round about with horsemen that make him on the spur. Yes, jack these spurs on. Now they're almost on him. Now, Titanius, what you? Hey, hey. And hark, 
They shout for joy. Come down, come down. Behold no more. Oh, coward that I am to live so long, to see my best friend chained before my face. Come hither, sirrah. In part here did I take thee prisoner. And then I swore thee, saving of thy life, that whatsoever I did bid thee do, thou shouldst attempt it. Come now, keep thine oath. Thou be a freeman, and with this good sword that ran through Caesar's bowels, search this bosom, stand not to answer. Here, take thou the hilts, and when my face is covered, as tis now, guide thou the sword. Caesar, thou art revenged. Even with the sword that killed thee. Where must thou not his body lie? No, yonder. Oh, Julius Caesar, thou art mighty yet. Thy spirit walks abroad and turns our swords in our own proper entrails. The last of all the Romans, fare thee well. It's impossible that Rome should ever breathe thy fellow. Friends, I owe more tears to this dead man than you shall see me pay. I shall find time, Cassius. I shall find time. Come, poor remains of friends. Rest on this rock. Come hither. Good Volumnius. Best a word. What says the Lord? Good Volumnius, thou knowest that we two went to school together. Even for that our love of old, I prithee, hold thou my sword hilt whilst I run upon it. That's not an office for a friend, my lord. Well, farewell to you. There is no tarrying here. Farewell, my lord. My heart doth joy that yet in all my life I found no man but he was true to me. I shall have glory by this losing day. More than Octavius and Mark Antony by this vile conquest shall attain unto. I prithee, stay thou. Stay thou by thy lord. Thou art a fellow of good respect. Thy life hath had some smatch of honor in it. Hold then my sword. And turn away thy face while I do run upon it. Will thou straight up? Give me your hand first. Fare you well, my lord. Farewell. Good straight. Oh. Caesar. Now be still. I kill nothing with half so good a will. How died thy master, Plato? Oh, Anthony, I held the sword and Brutus did run on it. So Brutus should be found. For Brutus only overcame himself. And no man else has honor by his death. This was the noblest Roman of them all. All the conspirators, save only he, did that they did in envy of great Caesar. He only, in a general honest thought, and common good to all, made one of them. His life was gentle, and the elements so mixed in him, that nature might stand up and say to all the world, This was a man. Just fallen on Columbia's presentation of Julius Caesar, and the audience which packed Columbia's Music Box Theater in Hollywood is affording a tremendous ovation to the actors whose brilliant performances they have just witnessed.
Claude Rains, who played Cassie, Morris Angston, who was Anthony, Thomas Mitchell, who took the part of Brutus, Walter Abel, who appeared as Tosca, and Reginald Denny as Julius Caesar, together with Conway Turrell, the narrator, and the entire supporting cast are stepping towards the footlights to acknowledge their applause. In tonight's performance of Julius Caesar, the music was directed by Victor Bay. The play was adapted for radio and produced by Brewster Morgan. Claude Rains, whose most recent picture is titled They Won't Forget, appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers Pictures Incorporated. Next week, Columbia presents one of the gayest and most mirth-provoking comedies in the English tongue, Shakespeare's The Taming of the Shrew. This is the love story of a strong man who married a beautiful but shrewish woman. The Trucchio who tames the shrew will be played by Edward G. Robinson. Katharina, the woman whose fiery spirit is subdued, will be played by Frida Innescourt, and Charles Brown of Broadway fame will play Christopher Sly. The play has been specially adapted for radio by the distinguished author and critic, Mr. Gilbert Seldes. Remember the date, next Monday night, same time, same station. Edward G. Robinson with a brilliant supporting cast in The Taming of the Shrew. Welcome back. Well, just a, a superb production. I think the narration was particularly helpful in filling in the gaps and making the story easy to follow and understand. Also, some really solid performances in this. Thomas Mitchell was good, but I think Claude Rains as Cassius really stole the show. Just uh, absolutely superb, very passionate of course, Reigns and Mitchell are linked in that they both appeared in one of the greatest films of all time, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mitchell played uh, Diz Moore, a reporter, and Claude Rains uh, played a Senator Page and actually received a Best Supporting Actor nomination for his performance, which he lost to Mitchell, who uh, won it for uh, Stagecoach. I thought the actor who played Anthony was adequate. He did a solid job. I did find myself wondering how would Raymond Massey have performed this. Now, this was uh, before Raymond Massey was, you know, universally associated with Lincoln, so he wouldn't be doing the Lincoln voice. But I can't help but think he would have uh, raised uh, the play to maybe another level. Still, I think this uh, managed to get across the key ideas of the play, because this one is definitely a challenging one. It doesn't have really easy answers, and so it's a really rich and enduring work by Shakespeare. Now, I will admit that we have done a, an episode before from this series, The Shakespeare Cycle. We did it during our summer of, hum, of uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, when we did uh, uh, Henry the Fourth. However, when it comes to the summer replacement programs, our choices were kind of limited. We could have done Dreamline Shakespeare, which was another series of Shakespeare plays that ran the same year as Shakespeare Cycle, but they only have one episode in circulation from that series, and it's uh, Taming of the Shrew, which I'm not as big a fan of as Julius Caesar. And then there was another series that was from a uh, state uh, Shakespeare festival, and it featured King Lear, so it could be interesting, but it was trying to do King Lear in half an hour, and I don't think that's the type of story that uh, can work in half an hour. That's where we ended up with this one. And I think, you know, when it comes to summer, Shakespeare is a really important part of that. Where I grew up in Montana, there was actually a touring company of actors that traveled the state in the summer uh, performing Shakespeare plays. One year they came to the town I lived in of uh, Eureka that has about a thousand people in it, and they did uh, Taming of the Shrew. And then another year I went to, uh, they performed two consecutive nights uh, in Kalispell, and they did Two Gentlemen of Verona as the comedy, and they, they did a tragedy, and I forget which one that was. So, 
to me, though, I, I think that Summer and Shakespeare are very much linked, and so I definitely wanted to bring a bit of Shakespeare to this uh, summer series, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, performance with these really uh, solid actors. Well, next week, we are turning to comedy, and we'll be bringing you The Adventures of Topper. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. And remember to check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.